This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello and welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror films from the classic the camp to the cringe through the lens of disability. I'm your host, Nicole, and I am thrilled to have you here. What is on the examination table for this episode? 2020's Run, starring Kira Allen and Sarah Paulson, and directed by Anish Shigante, and co-written by Seb Ohanian. And I think I'm pronouncing that right. Anish uh, previously directed 2018 Searching, uh, with uh, co-writing again uh, with Sev, and both get story credits for the sequel to Searching Missing, uh, but there were two different directors at the helm of that film. Run was originally supposed to get a theatrical release in May 2020, so happy Mother's Day, but it was shifted to streaming uh, release on Hulu in November of 2020, due to the pandemic. Our main character in this film is Chloe, a teenager living with a host of medical issues, and uh, she seems to be living a pretty seemingly quiet, uh, almost isolated life with her mother, Diane. So way back when, 2021 to be exact, I was able to pop by the Phenomenal Freaks and Psychos podcast to discuss this one, but as always is the case, still lots to go uh, here, and I'm really excited to be doing a bit of a revisit. I'll link that episode in the show notes, and I highly suggest giving it a listen. I really adore Andrew, and while the Freaks and Psychos uh, podcast is quiet at the moment, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to not only be on the pod, but to have had uh, Andrew over here when we discuss Wait Until Dark. So all of the love to Andrew, and I hope this revisit does our conversation justice. With that said, let's get to it and talk about Run. And let's get to that Wikipedia plot synopsis. Diane Sherman gives birth to a premature daughter whom she goes to see lying in an incubator, surrounded by hospital staff. Years later, Diane lives a quiet life with her now uh, teenage daughter, Chloe. Due to the circumstances of Chloe's birth, she suffers from arrhythmia, hemochromatosis, asthma, as well as partial paralysis of her legs. She uses a wheelchair and takes multiple medications daily and is homeschooled by her mom. One morning, while looking through a bag of groceries for chocolate, uh, Chloe finds a prescription bottle of green pills with Diane's name on the label. However, when Chloe later inspects the bottle, she finds a label bearing her name has been pasted over the original. Chloe tries to research the name of the pills. Uh, trigoxin, 
but discovers uh, the house has no internet connection, unaware uh, that Diane is watching her. The next day, Chloe uh, dials a random number from her mother's bedroom phone and asks the answering stranger to look up the drug. He tells her it is a heart medication and that all the pictures of the medication show a small red pill. Later, while pretending to go to the bathroom at the movie theater, Chloe rushes to the pharmacy across the street from the theater. The pharmacist at the desk reveals the green pills are a relaxant called Ridocaine, which had only been approved uh, for dogs and could paralyze a human's legs. Chloe begins to hyperventilate before Diane runs in and sedates her daughter to take her home. Chloe wakes up in bed and finds her bedroom door locked from outside while, Di while Diane is out running an errand. She breaks out of her room by dragging herself onto the roof, eventually making her way to her mother's room bedroom and breaking the window uh, with, a with a soldering iron and water. It's a pretty intense little action scene here. She begins to have an asthma attack and only barely manages to crawl to her room to retrieve her inhaler. She tries to use her automated uh, wheelchair ramp to go downstairs, but finds that Diane has cut the power cord. Chloe is forced to throw her wheelchair down the stairs and accidentally falls, sustaining minor injuries, but also discovering that she can move one of her toes due to not having taken the ridocaine in the last few days. Outside and down the road, Chloe sees a mail truck, uh, a mail truck uh, and rushes to stop it. She explains her situation to Tom, the postal worker, who agrees to help her. Diane pulls up, and Chloe asks him to contact the police. Tom confronts Diane and tells her she can't take Chloe home. When closing up the van to take Chloe to the police station, Diane appears to stab Tom with a syringe. Chloe hyperventilates and blacks out, and when she wakes up, uh, she is in the basement of her house with her wheelchair chained to a soap pole as Diane drags Tom's body through the hallway. While in the basement, Chloe discovers her childhood photos, which show her walking, as well as a death, cert a death certificate for a girl named Chloe, who died two hours after her birth, and an article about a couple who had their baby stolen from the same hospital. When Diane enters, Chloe accuses her of deliberately making her sick and demands the truth. Diane insists everything she did was to help and protect Chloe. When Chloe accuses Diane of poisoning her, Diane exclaims that she saved her while filling a syringe with paint thinner, saying it will make her forget. Chloe crawls away and locks herself in a closet. She then swallows a bottle of uh, organosphobate. Uh, foreseeing Diane to rush her to the hospital. Chloe wakes up in a hospital bed, uh, incubated and barely able to move. Diane insists that her daughter be discharged, but the doctors refuse until Chloe has been evaluated by mental health professionals. Chloe uh, signals to a nurse who brings who brings over a crown and paper. 
she went while Chloe is attempting while Chloe is attempting to write mom on the paper, a clip blue is called, and the nurse rushes out. And with a handgun, Diane then sneaks in and ties Chloe to a wheelchair to escape. The nurse finds the bed empty and alerts hospital security. As Diane tries to find the exit, Chloe is able to move her foot and hold the chair in place. Diane begs her to come home with her, but Chloe replies that she doesn't need her anymore. Diane aims her gun at security, security guards while cornered and is shot in the arm, causing her to fall down the stairs. Seven years later, Chloe still relies on her wheelchair, although is able to walk short distances using pain. She visits Diane in a, in a correctional facility, who is confined to a bed in an infirmary ward. And she begins discussing the life that she has built for herself, including her husband, children, career, and birth family. Chloe takes out three plastic-wrapped uh, ridocaine pills that she had snuck in under her tongue and tells Diane she still loves her before asking her to open her mouth wide. So I felt like this was a particularly timely revisit as the story obviously has a lot of connective tissue with Gypsy Rose and her mother Dee Dee Blanchard with Gypsy just recently uh, being released from prison. Not familiar with that case. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna go into a deep dive at all. But I'll give you just the quick of it. Uh, from an incredibly young age, Gypsy was a victim of her mother's fictitious disorder uh, imposed on another FDIA or better known as Munchausen by proxy. Dee Dee made claims that Gypsy, that Gypsy had a variety of conditions, so working with leukemia, asthma, muscular dystrophy, as well as some cognitive delays as a result of a premature birth. Lots of folks in the pair's life suspected what was going on, including Gypsy, as she got older. In June 2015, Gypsy and her then-boyfriend Nick executed a plan to kill Dee Dee. Uh, Gypsy was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 10 years, while Nick was convicted uh, to, uh, on first-degree murder and sentenced to life without parole. Gypsy was granted parole after serving eight years of her sentence and was released in December 2023. There's a number of podcasts and various deep dives on any kind of platform that go into the case. Uh, but I think, you know, just in that little brief little summary, you can clearly see where run writers uh, kind of leaned in with elements of the case. But it's important to note that Run isn't the TV series The Act, which is also on Hulu, which is a kind of a more direct dramat uh, dramatization uh, of the Blanchard case. So more of a direct kind of retelling in that way. But as we're introduced to Chloe and her mom, they really do seem to have this loving relationship it is clear that their lives are pretty enmeshed. Diane homeschools Chloe, and they seem to spend virtually 
every waking minute in each other's presence to a degree. Chloe's excited to leave home uh, to go to college. And at first glance, we think that Diane, her mom, is fully supportive. This is underscored when we see Diane at a support group early in the film. Uh, many of the parents or guardians tear up as they express their concerns and fears as their kids that have needed their additional support probably for their entire lives are becoming more, uh, more independent. They are worried if their kids are strong enough to navigate the world with this increased independence. But Diane is practically all smiles, saying that Chloe is the strongest and the most capable person she knows. And she has qualms about her moving off to college. Diane will be excited to have more time to kind of focus on herself. So, you know, again, just Diane is you know, seems like a really uh, supportive and positive parent uh, where, you know, these other parents are expressing concerns where she's like, nope, my daughter's going to be fine. Really excited for her to get out and live life. So although this scene is pretty brief, it does an interesting thing in kind of peeling back the stereotype of the overprotective caregiver. There is a cycle at play. Overprotectiveness at an unhealthy degree often means not preparing or giving, you know, your child. Um, all the, you, we're talking about kind of a parent-child dynamic here. So I'll kind of stick with that. But this can really go into lots of other relationships too. So it means that you're not preparing or giving your child the skills or resources that they need to gain independence. This doesn't always come from a place of harm or malice. It can come from a place of genuine care and concern. And the overprotective caregiver in that situation may not realize that they're kind of being in that really overprotective state and uh doing a real disservice to their loved one. Abuse and harm enters the picture when isolation and lack of information are used to control and create this enhanced dependence. We see this play out as Diane cuts Chloe's connections to the outside world. In addition to being homeschooled, which in and of itself is not a bad thing, Diane controls uh, Chloe's internet access. We don't see Chloe around other people her age or socializing on her own. Despite being ready to go to college, her mom is still the one making all the calls to her doctors and being in charge of Chloe's medications. I sometimes wonder if depictions of the overprotective, of the overprotective caregiver uh, paired with Munchausen by proxy and their prevalence, do harm. Are they painting all caregivers, particularly parents or guardians of disabled kids, as abusive and controlling? These are really fine lines that are easily blurred. 
I think. So just, you know, something that really stuck out to me um, in kind of a uh, a rewatch here. But uh, to put a close on the discussion of overprotective parents, I do want to circle back to the similarities or influence the Blanchard case had on this story. Chloe, just like Gypsy, is able to escape her mother's abuse and control. She puts Diane in her position by now regularly giving her the same drug uh, that Chloe had been given. So you see just kind of this complete swap here. It's, it's a really striking end to the film, especially with Chloe saying, you know, I still love you and still maintaining this ongoing relationship with her abuser that now she really has, you know, all means to not have any kind of contact with. So let's talk about Chloe and more specifically the casting of Kira Allen. The filmmakers were committed to casting a wheelchair user in the role as Chloe from the start. According to a piece from moviemakers.com, which I will link in the show notes, it was shared that they had seen a number of actors in the casting process, many really talented and with great auditions, but when they would look them up afterwards, they'd find pictures or videos out uh, of these uh, actors out of their wheelchair. And this is the quote from uh, the piece for more context. They did much of their searching online, but hit an obstacle. Actors who claimed they had used wheelchairs in their real lives, but didn't. There were a couple of young ladies we saw that submitted themselves as people with disabilities. And we were like, wow, they're really talented. But somebody looked them up on Instagram, uh, said, and this is coming from uh, Sev Ohanian, uh, but there were videos of them walking on the beach from like two hours ago. So what they're saying is that they would have individuals that would uh, put in, you know, submit like an audition tape uh, saying that they were wheelchair users because this was part of what they were looking for within the casting. And then they would look them up afterwards and they would see pictures of them as of states, you know, like walking on the beach two hours later, being out of their wheelchair. So there's lots to unpack. Now, I think it's obviously great that it was an easy and prioritized decision to hire someone with a disability for the role. No notes on that. Where I bristle a bit on this is that this strikes me as somewhat gatekeepy. From my understanding, none of the filmmakers or uh, kind of folks on, on the production end have disabilities. And so this does strike a tone of saying, well, this is how we want uh, folks with disabilities to to look, to present, essentially. 
Now, I understand that they also were doing some due diligence to make sure that they weren't being kind of lied to just so that someone could get a role. And I'm sure that there were probably a couple of folks who, who did that. But this just, I don't know. This seems to also be negating the fact that um, not all wheelchair users use their wheelchair all the time. I mean, uh, even in this film, we see that, you know, once the, the Rydocaine has uh, worn off, she's able to to move a little bit um, and use, and at the end, she's using a cane. Um, folks with mobility issues don't necessarily like they, there's just a lot of variance here i understand that they were looking for something specific but it just i don't know and maybe i'm i'm looking too much into this and thinking a specific way about it but i don't know it was just i i remember hearing about this originally um when the film came out cuz i was really interested because they you know, had made a big deal about casting someone with uh, a disability. And I was just, I don't know. I'm i am interested to hear other folks' thoughts on this. If I may be reading into it too much, if, if there's kind of a nuance here that maybe I'm missing. It just feels very gatekeepy in a way um but again i do want to point out that hey i i completely respect and 100 percent um am on board with them prioritizing that they wanted someone with a disability uh, particularly a wheelchair user to be cast i think that's fantastic and that leads us to kira so kira was cast and she has been a wheelchair user since 2014 based on what little I could find because she is quite a private person. But she hasn't talked about what her medical condition is. If it's, you know, an illness, if she was in an accident of some kind, um, you know, we don't, she hasn't talked about that, which is absolutely fine. Um, but she was attending Columbia, and I think she has a writing degree and really wants to kind of go further with her writing. Um, so she's fairly young, and I think she gives a really great performance. And I think she'd only done a couple of smaller projects uh, prior to this. So really excited to see what she does next um i think she did a really really good job one of the things that i think really stood out to me in her performance is i think in uh previous episodes i've talked a little bit about how especially in situations where you have you know a disabled character in peril um it can be very easy for the choice to be made to make the disability the source of that character's weakness and this is absolutely not the case here chloe is very um strong and capable 
and navigates um, kind of these really high uh, and highly intense and, you know, moments of danger with a lot of finesse. So I I like that. So I think to wrap things up, I mean, I I do want to note that this is the first film, I think, within 70 years to star uh, a wheelchair user. Not someone playing a character that's in a wheelchair, obviously, but an actual wheelchair user. The first I want to say was the... Uh, Sign of the Ram, which is from 1948. So um, I I think that that's obviously uh, something worth noting. Um, and in one of the interviews that I read with Kira, which I'll, you know, I'm sharing all of this in the show notes, uh, she does talk a little bit about, you know, the kind of her onset experience and accommodations and how wonderful everyone was and how they had been really mindful and um, she talks about how there was a memo um, I think that the production heads had sent out to to kind of everyone that was uh, working on the film to say you know this is how you uh, should should kind of be mindful uh, in in working with Kira, and so she talked about you know pointing out that she didn't want someone coming behind her and just pushing her wheelchair without them saying anything or her giving the okay, just little things like that. And this stood out to me because we don't necessarily get to hear some of these stories about the accommodations that are needed on set. Um, So I I liked her sharing a little bit of that. So yeah, this is a bit of a short episode, but I I hope that, you know, talking a bit about a film that stars an individual with a disability and I don't know, just seems like a really timely revisit again, going back to all the news around uh, Gypsy Rose uh, Blanchard being released. So anyway, I hope that you liked this episode. A huge thank you, as always, to Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad for being the heart and the home of Bodies of Horror. And really excited for some episodes and guests that are on deck. Uh, coming up so do stay tuned and yeah if you want to reach out to me and say hey uh, let me know your thoughts on this episode let me know your thoughts on run um please do you can find me on twitter quick x whatever we're calling it at uh, bodies horror you can find me on instagram at bodies of horror podcast and I think that's also my name over on Blue Skies. So uh, you can obviously hit me up on the socials or shoot me an email at bodiesofhorror at gmail.com. So thank you again for listening and until next time.
Squad.